Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. From the Bloomberg Interactive Burger Studios, this is Bloomberg Daybreak for Tuesday, May 2nd. Coming up today. Janet Yellen warns the Treasury may run out of cash in a month. President Biden invites leaders in Congress to meet on the debt ceiling. Morgan Stanley plans to cut 3,000 more jobs. And writers for some of the most popular TV shows walk off the job. Testimony continues in the civil trial against former President Donald Trump. Plus a grim discovery as seven bodies are found in rural Oklahoma. I'm John Tucker. More ahead. I'm John Stanshower in sports. The Devils shut out the Rangers in Game 7. The Knicks played tonight. The Mets split. The Yankees lost again. That's all straight ahead on Bloomberg Daybreak. The business news you need to start your day in just one 15-minute podcast. Each morning on Apple, Spotify, the Bloomberg Business app, and everywhere you get your podcasts. Good morning, I'm Nathan Hager. And I'm Karen Moscow. Here are the stories we're following today. Karen, we begin with a warning on the debt ceiling. The Treasury Department now says the U.S. could risk default as soon as June 1st. Bloomberg's Doug Krisner has the details. Secretary Janet Yellen said her department's ability to use special maneuvers to stay within the debt limit could be exhausted as soon as the start of June. She also said since revenue and spending flows are variable, the actual date could be a number of weeks later than these estimates. The current statutory limit of $31.4 trillion was hit in January. Since then, the department has been staving off a possible default by using special accounting maneuvers. Yellen's new timeline reflects Treasury's latest thinking on when that headroom is likely to be be exhausted. In New York, I'm Doug Krisner, Bloomberg Daybreak. All right, Doug, thanks. Meantime, President Biden has invited top congressional leaders to the White House on May 9th to discuss the debt ceiling, and Bloomberg's Ed Baxter has that part of the story. This could be the first sign of any progress. Speaker Kevin McCarthy, Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries from the House, Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, and Minority Leader Mitch McConnell from the Senate. But the White House is emphasizing before the summit that it does not mean a softening of the president's position. Spokeswoman Corinne Jean-Pierre. He's happy to meet with McCarthy, but not on whether or not the debt limit gets extended. There are very few congressional days left after May 9th and before June 1st, so the pressure for a very short term solution is great. In San Francisco, I'm Ed Baxter, Bloomberg Daybreak. Thanks, Ed. We now turn to a bevy of news involving the banking sector. A top U.S. regulator wants a sweeping overhaul of deposit insurance. That's after recent bank failures drained some of the money used to protect banking clients. And the call comes after J.P. Morgan Chase had to rescue First Republic. BNY Mellon CEO Robin Vince says we need a sound banking sector. It's in all of our interests to have a safe and sound trustworthy, reliable banking sector. That's important. It helps to power U.S. growth and U.S. GDP at the end of the day. It's to no one's benefit to have an unsafe sector. BNY Mellon CEO Robin Vince spoke with Bloomberg from the Milken Institute Global Conference in Beverly Hills, California. 
In Europe, Nathan, shares of HSBC are up 5%. The bank is planning a share buyback of up to $2 billion after pre-tax profit tripled in the first quarter. Speaking to Bloomberg, HSBC CEO Noel Quinn says the results are proof he has the right strategy for the bank. We said all along that we believe fastest and safest way to get increased valuation, increased profit, increased dividends is by focusing on the current strategy. And I think the Q1 results is powerful evidence of that statement. HSBC CEO Noel Quinn says the bank will also resume paying quarterly dividends for the first time since 2019. And back here in the U.S., Karen, more job cuts are on the way at Morgan Stanley. Bloomberg News has learned senior managers are discussing plans to eliminate about 3,000 jobs by the end of this quarter. Morgan Stanley currently employs roughly 82,000 people. Well, Morgan Stanley's not the only one cutting jobs here, Nathan. Citigroup CEO Jane Frazier says she is willing to make adjustments to staffing levels inside the investment bank. City and its rivals are dealing with an industry-wide slump in deal-making and underwriting activity. So this pent-up demand is building and building. I just don't think it's going to get released as early as we would like it to. And it's, um, it, will, it's more, it certainly feels much more like the fact end of 23 for all of us than, uh, as we'd all kind of been hoping, would be early falls. I think like every, like every institution, you make some adjustments around the capacity, but we're playing the long game in investment banking. Citigroup CEO Jane Frazier spoke with Bloomberg at the Milken Conference in Beverly Hills, and we'll bring you more of that conversation coming up in just a few minutes. And IBM expects to pause hiring Karen. It's examining roles that could be replaced with artificial intelligence in the coming years. In fact, CEO Arvind Krishna tells us about 30 percent, or 7,800 back office jobs at IBM, could be replaced by AI in five years. Well, the Fed begins its two-day policy meeting today, Nathan, and economists expect the central bank to raise rates for a tenth straight time. Steve Auth, chief investment officer for equities for Federated Hermes, says the central bank is likely done after tomorrow. We think it's their last hike. They've been a backward-looking operation all through this. Um, We're late to the hiking cycle, which is one of the reasons we're having all these problems now in the banking system, because they've just forced people to adjust their books way too quickly. Uh, And, you know, they're still backward looking, and on a backward basis, probably another hike's in order. But the good news is, I think this is pretty much probably the end. Steve Auth at Federated Hermes thinks the Fed may actually cut rates at the end of the year. And the market agrees, pricing in a cut as soon as September. Finally, Karen, Hollywood is on hold this morning. Members of the Writers Guild of America have gone on strike. They're demanding better pay, saying the studios have cut their salaries with the transition to streaming TV. And the writers say the studios are also stonewalling on issues like artificial intelligence in script writing. Time now to take a look at some of the other stories making news in New York and around the world. For that, we're joined by Bloomberg's John Tucker. Good morning, John. Yeah, good morning, Nathan. Authorities in Oklahoma have discovered the bodies of seven people. It came during a search for two missing teenagers, and they were believed to include the girls and a convicted sex offender. The bodies are likely to include 14-year-old Ivy Webster and 16-year-old Brittany Brewer. They were believed to be with the body of 39-year-old Jesse McFadden and four others on a rural property near the town of Henrietta, Oklahoma County Sheriff Eddie Rice. We believe that we have found the persons. We just are waiting for confirmation. Sheriff Rice won't say how they died or provide other details. A dust storm that blew through southwest Illinois caused dozens of cars to crash in a massive pileup. 
At least six people are dead, over 30 injured south of Springfield. Montgomery County Emergency Management Director Kevin Schatz says the biggest challenge for the first responders was reaching the victims. Multiple vehicles involved, some were on fire, uh, so we had uh, vehicle fires to extinguish. We had to search every vehicle, whether they were involved in the accident or just pulled over to check for, uh, for injuries. Kevin Schott with emergency management says cleanup will continue throughout the morning on I-55. After a judge denied a defense motion for a mistrial, the testimony resumed at former President Donald Trump's civil trial in New York. During cross-examination, writer E. Jean Carroll, who claims Trump raped her in the 1990s, told the jury that she didn't report the alleged attack to police because she felt it was shameful to do so. And New York City's Water Bell Forgiveness Program, designed to recoup hundreds of millions of dollars owed by customers, is being extended. Mayor Eric Adams says that the program has collected $80 million of the $1.2 billion outstanding from customers since January. We want to make sure that every New Yorker can uh, pay their, their water bills. So uh, DEP has extended uh, the amnesty program by one extra month, May 31st. Mayor Adams has threatened to shut off water to customers who haven't paid their water bills after that. Global News 24 hours a day, powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in over 120 countries. I'm John Tucker, and this is Bloomberg Nathan. Thank you, John. Time now for our Bloomberg Sports Update. For that, we bring in John Stashauer. All right, Nathan. Took almost three decades for the Devils to get some Game 7 revenge on the Rangers. The first Game 7 between the two teams since 1994. Double overtime at the Garden. This Game 7 was in Newark. It was still scoreless. Midway through the second period, the Rangers were on a power play. Oh, here's a takeaway by Pallott from Fox. Recovering, though, is Kreider. It's taken back by Pallott. Pallott still with it. Moves in close one to McLeod. Backhand scores! Michael McLeod! And it's 1-0. Radio. McLeod's first goal of the series. Later in the second period, the first of the series for Tomas Tatar. The Devils added two late goals. And after the Rangers won the first two games of the series, both by four goals, the Devils' last two wins of the series were both 4 nothing victories and shutouts for the young Devils goalie, Akira Schmidt. The Devils win a playoff series for the first time in over a decade. They'll play Carolina in round two. Game two, Nixon Heat tonight at the Garden. Last night, Philadelphia won game one in Boston as James Harden scored 45 points. He hit the game-winning three with eight seconds left. Denver beat Phoenix for a 2 nothing series lead. Another loss for the Yankees, and this one included a questionable managerial decision by Aaron Boone. Domingo Herman was two outs from his first career complete game. He had allowed no runs, two hits, had thrown only 88 pitches. Boone took him out. Cleveland rallied, scored three in the ninth and won 3-2. The last place Yankees have lost seven of their last nine, and Aaron Judge is on the injured list. Mets and Braves played two. Atlanta won 9-8, a game with seven home runs. Mets got the split, winning 5-3. John Stashelli, Bloomberg Sports. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. 
Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Live from coast to coast, from New York to San Francisco, Boston to Washington, D.C., nationwide on Sirius XM, the Bloomberg Business App, and Bloomberg.com. This is Bloomberg Daybreak. Good morning. I'm Nathan Hager. Wall Street leaders continue to express confidence in the U.S. financial system, and the CEO of Citigroup, Jane Frazier, is no exception. In conversation with Bloomberg's Shanali Basak at the Milken Global Conference, Frazier called the U.S. banking system the envy of the world that's after the collapse of First Republic Bank. She also discussed her outlook for recession in the U.S., a potential economic rebound, and the future of artificial intelligence in banking. So let's bring you part of that discussion with the CEO of Citigroup, Jane Frazier, right now. If you think about that first rescue that was made by 11 large banks just weeks ago, why wasn't there an inclination to step up and save First Republic a second time? Well, um, it's always a sad day when you see a bank fail, but I think we are all very pleased to get the, the major source of uncertainty that was remaining from the recent bank turmoil addressed. And that, that is a good thing, because fundamentally the U.S. financial system is sound. This is a case of a small handful of banks that were poorly managed, um, and getting this addressed is, is very important. When we stood up, I think it's a, a statement that the major banks, the 11 major banks in the country in 30 hours put $30 billion to work to buy the time to get the right solution um, and answer put in place. And, and that was our intention. It wasn't to provide the answer. It was to give the time for confidence to get restored and uh, our, our regulators to do their job, which they did. With First Republic being out of the way now, certainly that was the whale in the room, but what do you expect next in terms of any future bank failures or even hiccups down the road? So I, I, I am um, I'm more optimistic around it. I, I do think the U.S. financial system is extremely strong. Um, the, the large American banks globally um, are in a, an enviable position. Our financial system has a particular structure to it, the large banks, the regional banks, the commodity and community banks. Everyone plays a different role. We play different scale, different customer bases. But it's a, it's a strong system. Uh, I, I am anticipating there will be some more consolidation. We do have over 4,500 banks. And it's likely that the minimum efficient scale will rise. Um, but I don't think that brings into question a, a system that is the envy of the world. This is a, a strong and uh, highly desirable financial system. With it that works. Said, the big just got 
bigger today, right? This is J.P. Morgan rather than regional banks consolidating among each other. Does that create more competition for the smaller banks, given that the big are getting so big in this country? I think there's room for everyone to play their roles. Um, and you know, the larger banks are also playing on a global scale. When, when I look at our own bank, our strategy is around being the, uh, the preeminent partner for um, clients with cross-border needs. That is a very different role um, from the role that a community bank plays, which is also very important in the context of the local economy. So I, I think it's about different banks playing, playing different roles. And let's make sure that we have a, a strong and successful system um, that, that works. There's a lot of worries about the credit contractions that could be seen in the United States, particularly among that sector, small, medium-sized banks that tend to small, bank small and medium-sized businesses. Do you expect that there will be a significant contraction, and how do you handicap the ripple effects to the economy? So certainly the risks now are more to the downside than they were at the beginning of the year. And no, no one anticipated the turmoil that we've seen so far this year at the beginning. And I think it certainly makes the second half is not going to be as strong macroeconomically or in terms of investment banking wallet and the like that we had hoped. That said, um, you know, the, I think, as you say, one of the big questions will be to what extent does credit tighten? Um, and, you know, if that is material, that will have a, a drag on the economy. We're anticipating a recession at the back end of the year, but the amount of pent-up demand, the amount of um, the strength of the corporates, the strength of the consumer coming into this, the usual amplifiers of a contraction are not in place. Um, and I think we'll see the U.S. economy, unlike others, pull out of whatever a recession environment could be pretty quickly. So to the extent you see that recession finally come nearer, what exactly does it look like? Who is impacted? What feels the pain? Well, we're, we're, I think we'll see, as one always does, more pain being felt in among some of the consumers at the lower FICO. The benefit we've got at the moment has been very strong employment, and that's terrific for the health of the consumer, and that's, uh, that, that has remained. I'm just saying the corporate sector is particularly strong, and I think that's why you hear so many of us talking about this being a, a more manageable, a moderate recession, uh, if, if one does indeed come about, um, and one in which the economy should be able to pull out of it uh, pretty strongly. And to the extent that you're preparing for a recession, you know, Citigroup itself has just written off a lot of credit card debt to begin with in the first quarter. Do you expect you're going to have to tighten lending standards even more for consumers and even corporates? We are a long way from being in a situation where the credit levels are even normalized to where they are pre-COVID. So we're probably only 70% of the way to the pre-COVID levels of, uh, of normal credit losses that you expect. So there's still quite a, there's a lot of room still to go before we start using the stress word. Um, uh, City is probably a little, a little biased towards the prime. 80% of our, our customer base in the States is prime. So we don't tend to see the lower FICO as much. And there will be a little bit more stress there. And everyone's going to need to keep an eye on that. I want to 
pivot a little bit here and talk about another area of stress that is being seen in one of the safest markets in the world, that is the Treasury market. You have a front row seat here to kind of the ripple effects that are being felt in Washington from the disputes around the debt limit. What does that look like from your view? Well, I think the market's starting to have a sense of humor failure around some of what's going on. So we've certainly seen more than we have um, in recent debt ceiling concerns an impact on the Treasury market. In the short term, the pricing for the June-September has definitely come down. Uh, The CDS market is seeing a quite unprecedented widening there. So there is there is a lot more concern. I'd, I'd say the last week or so, we were seeing three times the volume of questions for investors. And it's still early, but it, it is a concern around it. This could be quite dire um, for consumers, for corporates, and indeed for the markets uh, if this goes down to the wire or worse. How does the rest of the world look at this dispute in the United States and invest in a treasury? Um, as the last thing that the world needs right now, particularly in the market. So, you know, we want to see strength in the U.S. capital markets. We want to see confidence in what's going. And the, the banking sector, very well positioned. The banks are very strong, as we see. So we're in a position, as we did in the pandemic, as we did in the turmoil, to be there to support markets, to be there to support our customer bases, consumers and corporates. So I think from that perspective, um, we're, we're, in, we're in a good position. Um, but it is the last thing that the world and America needs is to have a debt ceiling crisis. The other cross current here to the Treasury market is another big Fed meeting and the prospect of even higher interest rates. Where do you think the direction of travel is headed? Services inflation is painfully persistent. We've seen the goods inflation come way down. Supply chains are now in far better shape than they were. So it's really about services inflation and the tightness of the labor market. And Chairman Powell has been and we need him to stay resolute on inflation. Um, This is not good to have long-term inflation into the U.S. economy. Some is fine, but his resoluteness is something I think we can bank on. So we're anticipating higher than the market would like for longer than the market would like. There's so much pent-up demand in the market at the moment that it it keeps wanting to get ahead of this, but that's just not where the economy is. So do you think that the market is discounting the potential for higher rates for longer, and what does that mean for asset prices? I think many of us here at Milken do believe that the market is too enthusiastic here, partly because the economy is so resilient. This is a strong, resilient U.S. economy, and that is part of the challenge. We anticipate you know, a, a tough end of the year and a recovery in 24. From the market perspective, though, it tends to anticipate these things. So towards the end of the year, the market should be anticipating the recovery and in stronger position, just a little later than uh, it would like it to be. I just want to reset here for our global Bloomberg TV and radio audiences. I'm here with Jane Fraser, the CEO of Citigroup. Jane, I want to pivot back to Citigroup and your business plans. You had mentioned kind of the softness expected through the end of the year. How do you expect that to weigh on investment banking and particularly not just activity, but jobs? Yeah. Look, our, our corporate clients come to us with a four-way dilemma, and that's of the cash that they have on their balance sheets. Their balance sheets are in good health. Should they be keeping as cash for a cushion? Should they be doing dividends and buybacks? Should they be uh, paying down debt because the debt they anticipate being more expensive for a little while longer? Or should they be investing in transformation? Our pipeline in investment banking is bigger than it was pre-COVID, and it's big transformational 
transactions, there's a lot of pent-up demand. We're seeing it a little bit more IPO activity and interest, a little bit more in leveraged finance, the, the investment-grade market's better. So this pent-up demand is building and building. I just don't think it's going to get released as early as we would like it to, and it's, um, it, will, it's more, it certainly feels much more like the back end of 23 for all of us than, uh, as we'd all kind of been hoping, would be early fall. And what does that mean for the job story, then? Do you keep the bankers on board until that comes back, or do you think you're going to have to make some reductions before that? Uh, we, I think like every, like every institution, you make some adjustments around the capacity, but we're playing the long game in investment banking. Um, I'm very delighted to say we, we have a lot of talent that wants to come and join us, and um, we've been bringing some terrific talent in, in the healthcare sector, in the technology sector, and investing in that. And now, uh, yeah, we're playing the long game here, so uh, I think that's important. I think there's another part of the business that's worth talking about. It's your treasury and trade services yeah. business here. You're, a lot of people don't realize you move $4 trillion worth of money for corporations and clients around the world. But how do you get the market to value you for that? Yes. So um, it is. This is a. This business is a thing of beauty. It's for 5,000 multinationals, four trillion dollars every single day in payroll, in cash management, in procurement, in supply chain. It's also very, very sticky, which is, I think, a, of note at the moment because there's a lot of services attached to it. There's data. It's embedded into the clients' businesses, into their technology systems. It helps make them more efficient, manage risk, manage what's going on. So this. This is a highly desirable, very, very sticky deposit base that sits there. Um, and I think the market's beginning to realize that this is a thing of beauty that has absolutely been firing on all cylinders as we've been investing behind it in the last few years. It's unique. Is this the race that you're going to win at? Because the beginning of your tenure was really marked by exiting certain businesses. So what is the new Citigroup story to hold on to to kind of bring that stock in line with performance of your rivals? We have never been clearer about what our strategy and our vision of our firm is. It is the preeminent banking partner for clients with cross-border needs. It's a focused set of businesses that connect very well together with strong synergies. It's a better quality business mix. It's diversified. It's resilient with a very, very good balance sheet beneath it. it this is 90% uh, of our credit is investment grade internationally. 85% of the corporate credit is investment grade and our consumer businesses is prime. So it's a strong balance sheet off the back of a, a, a business model that is resilient and will be there to meet our medium-term targets. So we're on a very clear path. Um, we know exactly who we are. We know what we need to do, and we've been getting a move on getting it done. So I'm, I'm pleased with the progress, but we've still got a bit more to do. I want to look to future technology. How thinking about the renewed interest around AI brought on by ChatGPT. Look, I, I, this is a game changer. And I think in a way, when we look at blockchain and some of the other technologies that have come in the last decade, they, they've been part of the toolkit. But I think we're all beginning to realize what a transformative nature that generative AI in particular could be. Um, it's early days because we have to understand what does this mean in terms of jobs, what does it mean in terms of business models. Um, but this is certainly the one that all of us, uh, you know, the leaders in the industry are looking at and recognizing that uh, there's, there's incredible potential here. And lastly, just in a minute here, Jane, is there anything that can really change your view of this mild recession going into a deeper one? 
Ah, uh, yes. If, if something happens on a geopolitical front, none of us anticipated the war in Ukraine last year. And that had major impacts, second and third order impacts on energy security, on food security and the other pieces. So I think we've all learned never to uh, never to say never anymore, that nothing will surprise us. So you know, if something happens on that front, that, that could be very challenging. Let's hope that uh, sane minds prevail. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Today, your morning brief on the stories making news from Wall Street to Washington and beyond. Look for us on your podcast feed at 6 a.m. Eastern each morning on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. You can also listen live each morning starting at 5 a.m. Wall Street time on Bloomberg 1130 in New York, Bloomberg 991 in Washington, Bloomberg 1061 in Boston, and Bloomberg 960 in San Francisco. Our flagship New York station is also available on your Amazon Alexa devices. Just say Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. Plus, listen coast to coast on the Bloomberg Business app, Sirius XM Channel 119, the iHeartRadio app, and on Bloomberg.com. I'm Nathan Hager. And I'm Karen Moscow. Join us again tomorrow morning for all the news you need to start your day right here on Bloomberg Daybreak. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.